Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to Journey of Faith. My name is Jason Cusick. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. I uh, want to say hi to everybody at our Torrance campus right now that we're connected live uh, there with Torrance. Great that we can be connected. Hi to everybody online. And I want to say a special welcome to those of you that are with us here for the first time. You, this might be actually the first time back to church or even this church after being away for a while. Or you might be one of those people that is here in a church service for the first time in your life, whatever the situation, hope this is a great experience for you. Um, especially in the new year here, uh, the new year is when we tend to try out church again or we're trying to kind of reboot some of those spiritual parts of our lives. And as a way to do that, last week we started a series of messages called Right Side Up. And the idea behind this is we're looking at some of Jesus's countercultural teachings. He talked about loving your enemies and doing good without taking credit. And you have to uh, lose your life in order to gain your life. And so what we're doing is we're, as we're going into 2024, we're saying, how can we look at these teachings of Jesus, which are, are kind of upside down, and then, and then maybe we can right-side ourselves. We can turn ourselves right-side up so we can face what's going on in the new year. Particularly the challenges. And there's gonna be a lot of challenges this year. Maybe you've already experienced some of those challenges or as you look ahead, you're like, I, I need to be ready. We're talking about being prepared for what's ahead. Because if you're not prepared, then bad things happen. Um, I'll give you an example of that. It was, I think it was Thanksgiving weekend, uh, just this last year, I was heading out to the grocery store to pick something up. It was late in the evening, and I pulled into the parking lot of the grocery store, and my car just died. It just stopped. And I looked around, and I realized, oh, the store's closed early, too, so I was alone in this parking lot. And the previous year, my car had broken down in a parking lot, and I had to wait like an hour and a half for, for AAA to come. So I was like, did this happen again? Before, it was a, a bad battery thing. And I thought, maybe it's my alternator or something like that. So I get out of the car. I go around. I pop the hood. I take a look, and I realize at that moment, I don't know how cars run, so I don't... <laughs> know what I'm looking for in this thing. So I close the lid and I call my wife. And so she, she starts Googling stuff and she's like, this, this, so I'm looking at this. And, and, and as she's typing stuff in, she's saying, this is so weird. I mean, you didn't run out of gas, right? So I ran out of gas. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting in this parking lot. I've got no gas. And um, I call AAA and they say it's going to be an hour and a half uh, before. So same situation I'm in. Uh, ended up getting gas and going home, kind of shame-filled and everything like that. But, and I've learned my lesson. I've learned my lesson now. I used, to, I used to think, you know, that little alarm that goes off to say your gas is low, that that was like, hey, just letting you know. It's going to run out pretty soon. No, that's when I'm like running on fumes at that point. But I've learned. Now I'm trying to keep my tank, you know, filled with gas. I think, uh, now I'm thinking, what is the likelihood, percentage-wise, that my car will run out of gas if I don't do anything about it? 100%. That's, that's the percentage. 
In the same way, what is the likelihood this year, percentage-wise, that someone will wrong you? 100%. Someone will insult you. Someone will say something to you that hurts you intentionally or unintentionally. Someone will intentionally do something to upset you or trouble you or get in your way. Here's the question we're asking today. How should we respond to someone who has wronged us? Some of you might have happened already this year. Some of you might happen to you this morning on the way over here. Um, we want to respond in the best way. The way to respond in the best way is to be prepared. So here's the main idea for today. We can reprogram our responses into love how? With Jesus' help. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a section of Jesus' teachings where he addresses this. Here's where we can find it in the New Testament of the Bible. It's in the, the book of Matthew. If you have a Bible that you bring with you on Sundays, you can look up this reference. If you have your phone, if you want to read along, I'll have it on the slides here. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible to start off the year, we have some, when you leave today, you can go to our connection series, the table right outside here. It's right outside at, at, at Torrance. And we have a starter Bible for you. In fact, we can even look up this reference for you. We can put a little bookmark in there. So this week you can kind of read it on your own. This is a really big thing for us as a church is that regularly we want to be reading the things that Jesus said and what the Bible says and then saying, how does it relate to us? And so we're gonna read this uh, this morning and what we're gonna read is Jesus speaking to a group of men and women who were Jewish in background and they were raised uh, hearing sermons and hearing teachings about Jewish religious law and particularly Jewish religious law on how to relate to people. And over the years, they had gotten a certain understanding of how they should respond to people who have hurt them or have wronged them. And what Jesus is doing that we're gonna read is he's saying, I wanna give you a, an, another angle on this. I'd like you to consider another way of looking at that. Here's some of what he said. You've heard that the law says the punishment should match the injury, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. Now, this is really upside down. So particularly, uh, Jesus is emphasizing a Jewish religious law that they would have been very familiar with. We've, we've heard it. It's this one, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now, this is a really important religious uh, teaching to be introduced into the world uh, through Judaism. The idea is the punishment should fit the injury. The idea is somebody does you wrong, then they should compensate you in equal value. It's not like somebody punches 
you in the tooth and they get to punch you in the tooth. That's not what it means. It's the value of an eye for the value of an eye. And this is a principle even within American law that there should be equal compensation. It shouldn't go more. The reason this is so important in history is because uh, retaliation and revenge was often worse in that day than the actual crime committed. And so we're trying to, trying to level the, the playing field a little bit ethically and morally. The problem is, by Jesus' day, some had taken this as a prescription. You hurt me, I am biblically allowed to hurt you the equal amount. And so it was retaliatory. And Jesus is saying, what would it be like if somebody hurt you and you didn't hurt them back? In fact, he gives this example. He says, what if someone slaps you on the right cheek? So when Jesus is writing this, the Roman Empire is actually oppressing the Jewish people. And it wouldn't have been uncommon for Roman citizens or Roman soldiers to actually slap Jewish people across the face. Now, he's not necessarily talking about like a fist fight, a punch. It's more like I'm going to insult you, I'm going to embarrass you, I'm going to shame you. And Jesus is saying, what would it be like if somebody insulted you, embarrassed you, or shamed you, and you, you didn't try to do that back to them? What would that be like? In fact, what would it be like if somebody was insulting you and embarrassing you and shaming you, and you were to respond with love and generosity? That's the other example he gives. He says, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give those who ask and don't turn away those who want to borrow. This is actually referring to a law that the Roman Empire dictated at that time that if a Roman soldier was carrying all their armor and their gear, they could enlist a, a Jewish man or a woman and require them, they were, the Jewish man or woman was required by law to carry all the soldiers' gear and equipment for at least one mile. And Jesus is saying, if someone were to do with the, if that oppressive military power requires you to carry their stuff, go the extra mile. That's where we get that from. He's saying, don't just go one right then. See, your average Jewish person is like, I'm not going to carry that for you. You're like an oppressive leader in my life. I'm not going to help you. He says, not only should you help them, but right when you get to that mile marker and that Roman soldier thinks you're going to drop that gear and walk away, then you turn to that Roman and says, I can go another. Let me help you with this some more. And then as you're going, that second mile, that's when you can ask some questions. You can say, tell me about your family. Tell me about your faith. During that second mile, you can be praying for that oppressive person in your life, who knows what's gonna happen in that second mile because that second mile is when the Roman goes, what do you believe? What, what is your faith and your values that are causing you to be generous to somebody like me? Jesus says one more thing. He talks about one of the laws they've heard. You've heard that the law, the Jewish religious law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This, this actually, love your neighbor, is a very impart, important part of Jewish religious law. But by the time Jesus' day rolled around, 
people understood neighbor as the people who think like me, believe like me, and live like me. So they're like, oh, of course I should love the people who are like me and believe what I do and live the way I do. And if I love those people, then I guess I should hate the other people. But that phrase, hate your enemy, is not part of Jewish law. In fact, Jewish law says to do good to your enemy. So they had kind of come to a conclusion that I should love the people who are like me and I should hate the people that are against me. And Jesus is going, ah, you got that wrong. You know what you should do is you should pray for the people who are against you. You should pray for the people who are not like you. And don't pray that something bad would happen to them. <laughs> pray goodness. That's what happened in my life. When I uh, was in high school, I wasn't a follower of Jesus in high school, and I had three or four friends that were committed Christians. They were the nicest people to me. We were really good friends. And they were talking to me about God's love and, and what it means to have faith. They weren't pushy, but they were the friendliest people in my life. And they prayed for good things to happen to me. And when I became a follower of Jesus, I was like, this is what it's about. In fact, I found this wonderful Bible verse that actually shapes how I operate and how we do things as a church when it comes to people who believe differently. So don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? One of God's main instruments for helping us come to faith is his love and his kindness and his generosity. Not judgment, not condemnation, and not finger pointing. So that means when people are wronging us, intentionally or unintentionally, the, the right side approach might be different than that instinctual response that we have. Remember the main idea here? We can reprogram our responses into love with Jesus' help. Let me show you a couple of ways we can do that. Here's one way. Prepare to practice loving people. Prepare, right? The reason I ran out of gas is I wasn't preparing. I wasn't keeping my tank full. And then I ended up running on fumes. We need to prepare for people to wrong us. We need to expect that people will insult us, that people will treat us badly. And then we need to recognize that our instincts might be getting in the way. We, we talked about this before, but um, the way God has designed our bodies is really amazing. And particularly in our brain, we have a small kind of almond-sized area of the brain called the amygdala. And the amygdala is the part of the brain that's responsible. Uh, it's kind of like the threat center of the brain. So when we feel wronged or hurt or afraid or threatened, that part of our brain lights up, and then God's designed our body to respond instinctually with one or, one or more uh, immediate reactions. And here they are. Um, we have that fight response, right? We feel threatened, and so we defend ourselves, and we get upset, or we fire back. We have that flight response where we're like, oh, I feel threatened. I'm getting out of here. I don't want to deal with it. I need to get away. We have that freeze response. You see this in nature videos where there's like an animal coming up and the other animal just kind of like, 
sits there. We do that sometimes. You know, you ever been in a meeting and the boss goes crazy and you're like, I'm not gonna say anything. I'm just gonna freeze. And then you have that fawn response and that, that's the people-pleasing response, right? Where you're like, oh, this person's upset. I better start finding ways to help that person like me. Now, this is a wonderful thing. These are those instinctual responses that keep us safe in situations. The problem is, is that in interpersonal relationships, these instinctual responses can actually get in the way of the responses that Jesus wants us to have to people. Like, what's your default out of these four things? Some of you are like, I'll fight anybody, you know? Or some of you are like, I avoid, every. whenever I feel threatened, I just disappear. I'm gone. For me, it's the first one and the fourth one are my go-tos. And it changes on situations, right? But like, you challenge me, and, and I've got enough you know, debate training. I'm not going to physically fight you, but I will intellectually fight you. And that is a reflex that I have. The other one is fawning. You're upset with me. I'm going to try to get you to like me. And while those instincts can prevent me from harm, they can get in the way of how Jesus, respond, uh, Jesus wants me to respond. There's a fifth way that Jesus wants us to respond. It's he wants us to respond faith. So here's an action step. This week, love someone in a sacrificial or inconvenient way. Start loving people sacrificially and in a way that might be inconvenient to you because you need to start practicing that. We need to start practicing that because when the person harms us, we'll be like, oh, I know how to respond. I've been practicing for a while. Maybe instead of fighting that, you have somebody in your life that is like oppositional to you. Somebody you don't get along with, somebody you don't agree with for one reason or another. Instead of fighting that person, maybe you can just start trying to understand that person better. Maybe you're one of those people that when there's a problem, you run away from it and that feels convenient to you. Maybe it's more of a sacrifice to stick in there and have a conversation and deal with the discomfort of the conversation. Have kindness, but be honest and stick in there and work toward resolution. That's the Jesus response. Whatever it might look like for you. Now, and I'm talking about at school, at at home, at work, in your neighborhood, but we can practice together here. Because one of the biggest reasons why I think that we have a problem responding to people uh, in the right way when they wrong us is a lot of times people are different than we are. We just have differences. And the good part is we don't have to go outside of the surroundings of our own church to interact with people who are different than we are. So I mentioned last week that we did this Barna Church survey and we asked for demographic info. And it was really interesting just to find out about who we are as one church and two campuses. Uh, here's some demographic info. At our church, we asked what year you were born. And it was a really interesting diversity of people. In fact, we have five generations here. We have more than five generations here. So as we're interacting with each other, we probably need to remember to be sacrificial and we might have to step into some inconvenience in order to understand we're interacting with different people. 
we asked about marital status. And this is really interesting because I think if you're married, you look around, you go, yeah, most people here are married. Um, or if they're not married, they're going to be married at some point. But actually, over a third of us are not married. And what does that mean about being thoughtful and aware and sensitive and, and sacrificial with each other? We asked about race and ethnicity. And that's a, a, we, have, we are growing in ethnic diversity. That's something very significant. And then this is very different numbers than we had years ago, thank God, because I think that really churches should reflect God's kingdom, which is made up of people of all different backgrounds and languages and, and people groups. And then we asked one more question. We asked, how long have you been attending this church? And this is really interesting that uh, over 50% of our people are less than here five years, uh, less, here less than five years. Some of you might be here and you're brand new and you're like, oh my gosh. Uh, everybody's been here so long. No, they haven't. Most people haven't been. The majority of people have only been here for five years or less. And if you're somebody that's been here a long time, you know, because you look around and say, I don't even know anybody. Now, this is a big challenge for those of us that have been here a long time because the sacrificial inconvenient thing is, guess what? You should get to know new people. Because a lot of us tend to stick with the group that we've known the longest. No, no, it's about building new relationships. So again, how can we respond better to people who have wronged us? Prepare to practice loving people. Prepare. Get in front of this. Think ahead. Where will my challenges be? And how can I reread some of these teachings of Jesus and begin responding, not instinctually with my brain's normal responses, which might be more retaliatory or self-protective, because our personalities are that, right? Our personalities are in some ways ingrained defense mechanisms that we have learned over the years. But how could I be someone different that's not just responding instinctually, but responding from a place of faith? And then here's the other way. Jesus was very clear about this. Start praying for your enemy. Now, some of you might be like, I don't have any enemies. So let's say that the word enemy means people that are not just believing differently and living differently, but people who are actively working against your beliefs and values. Ring any bells now? Think about your family Christmas gathering. Ring any bells now? How how about, just think ahead about the election. You got people now that that are opposed to your belief? And how can you pray for those people? I'll tell you, it's really hard to hate somebody that you're praying for God's goodness to happen to them. I wanna challenge you to make a list of those people. Let's call it a transformational enemy list. These are people that are right now your enemy, but because you're praying for them and developing, they're gonna become your friends later. And I would encourage you to actually write it down. Put it on a Post-it Put it on your bathroom mirror. Put it on your desk at work. Now, if it includes family and coworkers, you might have to change the name or the title of the list. You could just call it a prayer list. You could do that. But in your mind, you're like, I'm praying for these people. And these are the people that I actually don't want to pray for. And again, remember, you're not praying for something bad to happen to them. You know? You're praying for goodness to fall on them, 
That's what you want to have happen. And the goal is, not only are you praying for goodness to happen to them, but you're trying to change this instinctual, retaliatory, self-protective instinct. So I was thinking about this because I was watching the uh, KU versus Wichita basketball game a couple of weeks ago. And I was watching these guys do these these Will uh, in the baskets. future, but he needs to shoot it soon. And it was just a year ago, final 14 match. Another open look for Harris. To the other. Jackson trying to kill. I was watching, I was like, this Four is three on the way. amazing. To keep I mean, just like. Jackson had some key moments in that. Said, hey, Fran, for Schiller's talking about you. And Jackson gets in the lane, pull up I'm all like, the way. Yeah. You play in this system, you will. How do they do it from the court? You know? Now, I know it's talent, and I know these guys are monstrously tall. But you know how they're doing it? It's muscle memory. It's because they're shooting over and over and over and over and over and over. And there's something about the muscle memory and their body and their mind and their practice that when they get into the right spot, it's nothing but net. I think that's what Jesus is trying to get us to do with the spiritual life. That we would be practicing loving people and praying for our enemies over and over and over and over and over and over so that when someone wrongs us, our instinct is, man, I need to pray for that person. When someone wrongs us, we go, boy, what's happening in that person's life? I really need to show them some love. That when somebody wrongs us, we go, gosh, I hope I didn't do anything to inspire that. Let me, let, me, let me ask. Let me check in with that person. If we are going over and over and over again with responding, with reprogramming how we respond to move from retaliation to love, Jesus says, when you act like this, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Because he says, for For God gives sunlight both to the evil and to the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. I like that. When God's like, boy, you know, um, I want to give a beautiful day of sunlight to my creation. Which humans are deserving of it and which aren't? He says, no, I give to everybody. Oh, the crops are struggling. Hmm, which sinners should I keep rain from? And then which wonderful people should I give rain to? He says, no, God doesn't do that. He says, Jesus says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is that on that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? He's like, be different. As a follower of Jesus, you should be more loving than anyone else and you should be less retaliatory because that's who God is. And he finishes with this. He says, you are to be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. Now, if you struggle with that one, so do I. I was like, I ain't perfect. I don't know what you're asking of me. I got stuck on that word perfect. Some of you grew up in homes who are like, you gotta be perfect. So I looked up uh, the earliest copies of the New Testament that we have are written in Greek. 
And the word here for perfect is really interesting. It's this word. And it means um, wholeness, maturity, and completeness. So I think it's kind of like, you know, a kid grows up and it's, you've known them since they were little and they grow up and you go, oh my gosh, you're all grown up, you're perfect. It doesn't mean like you are without sin. It means you've reached maturity. You've grown up. I think that's what Jesus is saying. When someone wrongs you, grow up. Act like a mature person. Act like a complete, whole person. Be, a, be the grown-up. Now, some of you are like, I'm trying. <laughs> it's hard, though. This is hard reprogramming to do. The good news is this Greek word is also in the present tense, which means it's something you keep doing. It's almost like Jesus is saying, let's keep growing up. Let's keep maturing. Every opportunity is an opportunity to respond in a mature way. Here's what we talked about today. We can reprogram our responses into love with Jesus' help. Prepare and start praying. Let me finish by going back to me being stuck in the parking lot because I ran out of gas. I wasn't prepared. I was running on fumes. I needed to fill my tank. This year is a leap year. That means instead of 365 days, we have 366 days. It's our little way to cheat the calendar. Uh, we're the only planet in the solar system that does it. We're awesome. We're the best planet because we, because we have a leap year. Um, and, uh, and that day is February 29th. Don't think, hey, I got an extra day. What am I going to do on February 29th? Don't think of it that way. Think you have 15 extra minutes every week. You have three extra minutes every day. What if you took the extra time you have this year and you took that extra 15 minutes every week or that extra three minutes every day and you said, I am going to spend that time praying and thinking and planning ahead for the people who will wrong me so that I can respond from a place of love rather than retaliation. Who will you be at the end of this year? Every action has an equal or opposite reaction. When those who have wronged you hurt you, insult you, embarrass you, have a reaction that is not instinctual, but is right side up according to Jesus' teachings. Let's do that together and let's start right now. Let me pray that we can do that. Would you stand? We're gonna close our service over at Torrance. Would you stand? If you want prayer about that, maybe this message is like, uh, you don't know my situation. Some of us have gone through some real hurts and this is gonna be a lot harder. We have our prayer team available down here by the cross uh, at both of our campuses. If you want a Bible, you want to get more connected to the church, head outside there to our connections areas. We can help you. And then next week, we're going to dive back into some of these really challenging upside-down teachings that we need for this year. God, we need you. Uh, we're not perfect. We're not whole. We're not mature. But you want to move us in that direction. God, um, we all have those responses. I have those responses when I'm harmed, when I'm hurt, when I'm wronged. Um, 
Would you fill our minds with your teachings? Would you overwhelm us in a positive way? And would you fill us up with your love so that it's your love that we can give out to others, even when they wrong us, especially then? And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everybody. See you next week. God in the storm and through every battle. Yes, I know who you are. You're my anchor of hope. In the rage of the seas, you are the God.